I'm Nicole Davidson, and this is the Negotiation in Real Life podcast, the show where we take the lessons learned in real life negotiations to help you build your negotiation toolkit. We'll be hearing from lawyers, entrepreneurs, and senior business people about their best and worst negotiations. Negotiation is one of the most important skills for success in business and in life, but it's a skill we are rarely taught. For many of us, we develop our skills purely through trial and error. We see what works, discard what doesn't, and if we're lucky, we'll have a few good mentors along the way. In this podcast, we're going to give you access to an even greater range of negotiation mentors. Enjoy this episode and please reach out if you have any questions. In today's episode of the Negotiation in Real Life podcast, I'm interviewing Richard Lau, the CEO of Logo.com. Named 2004 Domainer of the Year, Richard has generated millions of dollars in revenue in the domain industry. Names.com began as an idea in the autumn of 2012 and is now part of the GoDaddy family. Another recent exit to Indeed.com, Resume.com aids millions of job seekers to build their resumes online and provides a home for their online CV for life. His newest project is Logo.com, an AI-powered logo maker that can give you a brand new logo in less than 30 minutes. In today's episode, I speak with Richard about the everyday nature of negotiation. We talk about the dangers of being pressured into quick decisions and the benefits of using third-party agents in a negotiation. We look at the benefits of being patient, particularly where there's limited information available for negotiation, and the dangers of taking shares as payment for a business sale. I hope you enjoy today's episode and find your own useful tips for your negotiations. Richard, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's very exciting to have you and I'm looking forward to some of the stories we're going to hear from you. Before we get into some of those stories, Richard, could you just give the listeners a brief overview of who you are and, and what you do? Sure. Um, I turned 50 last year during covid and I've been an entrepreneur since graduating from university in, uh, you know, when I was 21. So that 29 years of, uh, of um, entrepreneurial life and a lot of deals, a lot of successful deals, a lot of failed deals. And so I, I really like your topic of negotiation in real life. You know, it's uh, you're negotiating every day, even if you're not realizing it. But most importantly, you're negotiating when you're when you're doing um, lots of deals as an entrepreneur, or as a business person. And sometimes you need help. Uh, I wish I had had more help when I was younger in my first few deals, especially. Yeah, well, we'll get into to some of those details and hear about some of the help that would have been useful for you as well. But firstly, congratulations on the milestone birthday. Um, Thank you. <laughs> always challenging having those things during COVID as well. So yeah. I've got mine next year and I'm hoping COVID will be long gone. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, we'll a very wait. quiet birthday. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. So look, as you said, you've had a lot of entrepreneurial experience and, you know, this idea that we negotiate all the time is, is central to everything that I talk about and everything that I do. Tell me a little bit about some of those early negotiations. I know when we spoke the other day, you talked about one particular negotiation early on in your career that you wish you'd done a little bit differently. Perhaps you'd like to tell uh, yes. the listeners a little bit about that one. Yeah, I mean, you know, looking back, you know, I've done a lot larger deals. But I think that there was a lesson 
in the principle of this deal. You know, I was, gosh, I'm looking back. I think I was in my mid twenties and I had um, finished a, a large project for a, a, for a company and the company had many layers, you know, so I had a boss and he had a boss and then he had a boss. And um, I had a bonus structure that was agreed to with my boss, but it hadn't apparently been approved by his boss's boss. But it was only ten thousand dollars. It wasn't, a, you know, going to shut down the company by any means. And so, That's significant on my ex- for an early twenty-year-old. Oh, absolutely! It was significant for me, but not significant for the company. Yeah. And so, on the exit interview, I'm told, okay, well, actually, to get the bonus approved, you actually need to go to meet the the boss's boss. And so, I I traveled downtown, went down in my suit and tie, and you know, I'm I'm just this polished you know, wet behind the ears operations guy. And, you know, it, it was, the, you know, I had, I had successfully um, completed the, the closing down in one of their divisions, which it entailed a lot of travel across the country, laying people off. Like it was, it was not a pleasant job, um, but I, I, I took the two years um, that I had been assigned to do it and I did it. I exceeded all of the goals that had been assigned to me. And so I felt well um, deserving of the $10,000 bonus. And so on the exit interview, the, my boss's boss didn't want to pay it. And he said, look, I, I understand that you feel you've earned it. And I understand you feel that the company can afford it. But it was I didn't approve it. And I, you know, I feel like, you know, we're just kind of at an impasse here. And so tell you what I'll do. I will pay the bonus to you but I will not give you a reference. I will not be a reference for you. And, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm a cornerstone of the business community here in, in Vancouver. And, you know, Vancouver, even though it's got a couple of million people, it's a small town. Mm-hmm. Um, or you cannot take the bonus and I will be a character reference for you. Because, you know, if you take the bonus, anyone calls me, I'm going to say, yeah, Richard, he's all about the money. It's all about himself. But if you don't take the bonus, and then I will, um, I'll, I'll give you a glowing reference. But he wanted an answer before I left. And so, you know, I felt intimidated. I felt, you know, that this guy was impressive. I, I'm sitting in his home court, you know, in his corner mm-hmm. office, downtown glass building, you know, it's all the, uh, the classic Wall Street. And I decided in the moment, yeah, you know what, I do want him uh, to be a reference for me. And now looking back um, a couple of years later, I've never used him as a reference. So, so and then, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm saying I'm looking back, I was now like, you know, 27, 28. And I'm like, I haven't used him as a reference. I wonder if it was actually a test that I failed and that I should have said, pay me the money because I can stand on my own two feet. Thank you very much. And I do feel very strongly now, having had much time to, to uh, pontificate on it, <laughs> that he was just testing me and that either way, he probably would have given me a nice reference, but that I should have taken the the bonus um, because it was, you know, spend the currency while you have it. Right. And mm-hmm. I should have taken that, that money off the table and relied on the self-confidence in my own role to, and my own talents to, uh, to carry me forward and not be like, Oh, I'm going to basically pay you $10,000 to be a character reference. I'm like, no, Now I, you know, really wish I had some guidance uh, from someone else. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because he used a really smart 
Well, I was going to say a really smart negotiation tactic, but I guess it depends on how you want to be seen as a negotiator. But he's created that time pressure for you so that you didn't have the time to go back and consider what it really meant for you. I guess I'm interested, have you found yourself being more conscious of being pressured into making decisions as a result of that particular negotiation? Yeah, I had, a, I had another boss who taught me the patience and also taught me that time pressures, you can be resistant to them. You know, on the one mm. side, you have the saying of, you know, time kills all deals, right? You, you, if, you're, if you're the one selling, you're, you're wanting that, that time pressure to be, to, be, to be on because, you know, if you let it hang, chances are your, your, your sale will, will dwindle on the vine. So yeah, time kills all deals is, is, a, is a good saying. But at the same time, if, if you're being sold to, yeah, it, it's always good to, you know, write up that email and then sleep on it, have that response and then sleep on it, you know, talk to a, a, a you know, a, a confidant, talk to your wife, talk to your spouse, your husband, your partner, talk to your business mentor, your business coach, your, you know, mastermind group, talk with other people, bounce it off them, but don't decide in the moment, don't do an impulse decision. Um, that you're quite likely um, uh, to regret. And so, you know, take the time. The, the time pressure is usually false. And mm. it's usually someone um, just using a tactic to get you to make a decision that's, that they want you to make um, rather than a decision that's for your best interest. I agree. And, you know, it's interesting to use that word tactic because either it is a tactic and normally when you call out a tactic, really just takes away the power of that because they haven't got any other reason to justify the time pressure or it's not a tactic it's just a, a sort of innocent desire for them to get it done and once you ask for more time if it's not a tactic it's not going to upset them that you ask for more time so that confidence I think one of the things that I see flowing through from negotiation is the confidence to slow things down and give yourself that time to reflect exactly exactly but I'm interested then, so that's obviously one of your earlier negotiations and you've gone on through business and, and had some much more significant negotiations than that one. What would be an example of a negotiation that has been significant for you in perhaps changing the way you approach negotiations or one that you've learnt something from? Yeah, you know, we, um, we had a conference business and we had a business broker that we employed just to take the emotion out of the negotiation. And, um, and it, it was, it was a, a definitely um, a very good tactic um, or strategy to, to, to do that. You know, we, we already had the buyer identified um, and we had a conversation going, but we brought the business broker in um, to help through the negotiations. And, you know, um, it was my first time using a business broker. And so I, I didn't really know them that well. I, they didn't really know me that well. And so our negotiation styles were very different. And so he was going with the um, purchaser and, you know, fairly tough and, and had all of these points and it was getting to be fairly complicated. You know, the payout was complicated. The earnouts were complicated and it just started to be, you know, like a two page sheet instead of like a half a page agreement. It wasn't a huge business. And so the, it got to the point where the buyer contacted me directly and said, look, we need to not go through the business broker. We need to just talk and hash it out. And, you know, if there's a deal to be had, there's a deal to be had. If there's not, there's not. And let's just move on. 
And so I got on the phone and in the span of what, maybe 45 minutes, ironed out an agreement, um, which was basically everything that we, I had expressed to the business broker that we wanted. And, you know, and, and so then the buyer was happy. And my, in my discussions with the business broker, he's like, that's exactly what I wanted to happen. You know, I was trying to get the buyer frustrated to the point that they wanted to deal with you directly and would um, give in on all of these points and just do a simple clean deal. And I'm like, well, that's not that that's, you know, that's, that's flying a little too close to the flame for me. Um, so it's not, not, not necessarily my style. Um, it did work. Yeah. Um, but it's something that um, when you're in, when you're using a business broker or a professional negotiator, you should discuss in advance so that you're both on the same page. So you know what what the what's going to happen on the field. It's um, a really interesting yeah. one, isn't it? You know, to, to, to take a strategy that could have gone quite wrong without having that consent from you as the, the client. Exactly. And yet I wonder if he had talked to you whether it would have impacted on the way that you then spoke to the purchaser. Right. Um, you know, yeah. is it a strategy that would work if you had known about it? Right. Or would I have even agreed to it? Yeah. Right. I probably wouldn't have agreed to it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to um, that we've done. Um, a number of seven figure negotiations and, you know, there's it's it's tough, you know, and as the seller, um, usually we're in the seller position as a seller, you you know, the, the way to sell your asset or entity or business or domain name for seven figures is, you know, to say no to high six figures. And it's it's not easy when you you know the you know bird in the hand is is worth two in the bush you know it's it's very tough to 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 be in that position and that's why having the business broker to kind of talk you down uh, take the emotion out mm. of it show hey this is this is this is the path we're going to go this is mm. the this is what I've seen in other deals this is what you know this is what happened last week in this other deal right. Whereas as a business owner, you're often um, only in an, a high level negotiation, you know, once, twice, half a dozen times in your career. Whereas in our case, the business brokers that we've used, they're doing it on a monthly basis. So yeah. it's, um, it's well it, worth the money. It's interesting too, though, that the kind of negotiations that you're talking about there, particularly where you're buying businesses, which are perhaps startups or unique businesses in the industry, or domain names, you know, when I go through and help people with preparation for negotiations, two of the big areas is, you know, how do you justify the various options that you're going to put on the table? So in the case of selling a business or a domain name, the biggest standard that you've got to come across is how do you justify the valuation? And presumably with some of these domain names and businesses, actually getting a valuation that you could reliably put hand on heart and say, well, this is the right number will have been quite challenging. So how did you deal with that when you're going, well, hang on, I wanted seven figures, but I'm getting high sixes. I'm pretty close. Did you have any particular things that helped you when you got into that situation? Yeah, you know, it's very interesting. We had a, a one negotiation where it was in the six figures, not seven, but there were three parties involved. And it was basically these two other parties were, were large partners and we were a very small partner in this entity and the entity, the partnership was, was being dissolved. And so the cash is easy to split, 
it's according to percentages, but then the remaining assets, there are stocks, domain names, websites, and each of the party, you know, so the, the three parties, each of the party had a representative and each representative had a different valuation for every single one mm. of those items. So at the end of the day, we decided, look, we don't need to show each other how we each value those items because we could, we'll just sit here until we're blue in the face arguing why, you know, this hand cream is worth $7 and the guy's like, no, the hand cream's worth 50 cents. And so each person has a different value to each mm. asset. And so um, it took a long time of, you know, basically horse trading um, to figure out, you know, something that each, that we would all agree on. Mm. Um, uh, and so it was, uh, it's very much what the item is, um, is not, it's not what it's worth to you, it's what it's worth to the other party. If my hands aren't dry, then the hand cream is worthless to me. But if right. I've got flaky skin, I'm going to pay a lot more for that hand cream or value it exactly. more highly. Absolutely. And so um, we, you know, with, with the main names, especially, we spend a lot of time figuring out who the other party is. Because if we know who the other party is, then we can assess what is the value to that party, right? We, we may have a minimum, you know, I may be willing to sell this hand cream for 75 cents. But if I discover that, you know, you, you really want it for your, your dry skin and you want this particular one, well, then you might be willing to spend $10 on it. And so then I'm like, well, I'd, I'd probably sell it for a buck, but I'd much rather sell it to you for $9.99. Um, and so with domain names, especially, um, you know, we've got a lot of domains that are just priced by it now, it's called, right? It's just like a sticker price. Someone can click on it check out with GoDaddy and, and, and it goes on their credit card. On other domains, a handful of domains, we um, are very specific in that we will not negotiate, um, we will not even present a price until we know who the buyer is. Um, so we had um, a domain name, um, um, ocean.com, so I can tell you the, the domain. Um, and the purchaser um, was using a broker and the broker um, was using a kind of a, a fake website to present themselves as yeah. a, you know, it looked like Craigslist from 2006. Like it, it had nothing fancy. It, would, it had been done, um, you know, kind of like the GeoCities of the world. And, you know, but because I, um, I have been in the domain name business now for over 20 years, I knew that this was a front for a much larger corporate branding agency. And so I, I just replied to them saying, we're not interested in talking to you unless you tell us who the client is. And they're, they're replying in like grammatically incorrect emails that you're like, obviously this is written by like a $250 or, a, you know, $750 an hour lawyer who's trying to pretend to, you know, not be educated and, and just be like, oh, I need this for my high school uh, project. And so, so after a year and a half of them um, sending offers and the offers in kept increasing and we kept replying. Um, and then finally, I was just like, look, I think I'm talking with this person at this agency. You can stop fooling around. We're clearly not going to talk to you unless we know who the client is of yours. And so then they replied from the proper agency saying, okay, let's have a phone call. You caught us. <laughs> <laughs> you caught us. The dollar figures went from high five figures through six figures into the seven figures. 
And, you know, it's very tough not to just say, you know what, I don't care who the, who the buyer is at this point, I'll just say yes, because that, mm. that's a decent offer. From the point where I was willing to sell, um, my partner was like, no, we stick with our strategy. We actually, from that point of where I was willing to sell to where we actually sold, doubled. So it was uh, well into the seven figures. And so that, you know, that's the power of having um, a strategy in advance. Yeah. It's um, having a uh, professional negotiator. In this case, it was my actual business partner. And so we, we did really well. And, you know, it was all down to knowing who the actual purchaser was, mm. because and as patience. I say, yeah. Patience is a really important part of negotiation, isn't it? So yeah, absolutely. It, you know, it was a year and a half. Yeah. In total. So I, I was going to ask you about how you manage the conflict between yourself and your partner in terms of you willing to, to accept an offer, but him <laughs> not, but it sounds like he was so skilled that there wasn't any conflict. You were willing to accept his advice. Yeah. You know, it's, you just, you talk, you're, you, um, there's a saying, uh, you know, strong opinions, loosely held. And, and so, you know, you, you both present your arguments, your ideas, and whoever has the most convincing, then you go on with that. And you don't hold on to your, your stance or your idea simply because it was your idea. Mm. You know, you, you go with what makes sense, what's logical. Um, and so, yeah, my, my business partner, you know, kept bringing me around to like, look, this, this is worth a lot more. And even when we're, when we did sell it, we felt like we probably could have pushed it higher, but at some point you're like, okay, that's enough. Yeah. I don't need it. I don't need it all. You've got to make sure you don't go past that tipping point where the deal falls over, isn't it? It's always, exactly. and, and you never quite know how yeah. far away from that point until you've gone past it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, my, it brings up a good point. My One of my uh, bosses, when I was in my 20s, we had been negotiating back and forth on this license, uh, a radio frequency license with another company who wanted to license it from us. We'd been negotiating now quite some time and they, had, they were now nickel and diming. They were, you know, arguing over very, very small pieces, like yeah. to get, put a percentage, less than 1%. In the middle of a 45-minute um, discussion about this one percent my boss said he just closed up his book and he said you know what negotiations over deals off the table and just got up and left and I'm sitting there stunned right I'm just taking notes and um, the people across the table are like he's coming back right I'm like I I would think so because we're only off apart by one percent and um, you know, 10 minutes go by, 15 minutes go by. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go check and see if he's coming back. <laughs> and so I go up and I check and, he, and he's like, are they still here? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you can show them out. We're not doing business with them. I'm like, we're only 1% apart. And he's like, they've over-negotiated the deal. And this, this wasn't a sale. It was like a, going to be an ongoing relationship. He was like, if this is how they're going to be about 1%, then this is not the partner that we want. And I went back in and they're like, you know, we, we agree to, we agree to everything. I'm like, it's, it's done. It's gone. Like you, the, the, the deal is off the table. So that was interesting as well mm. um, to be like, you, you can also push it so far where you're the one willing to pay the money. And the, the seller's like, yeah, I don't want to deal with you. Yeah. Well, this yeah. is the thing, isn't it? You know, it's it's about that attitude of is this a long term relationship and how is it going to work? I think that comes into play so many times 
um, the perception that you create through how you negotiate decides whether the other person wants to be in business with you. Yeah, so absolutely. It's, it's a really important story. Yeah. So we've talked about quite a few negotiations that have been successful. Have you had any failures that you want to talk to us about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, when I was 30, I was diagnosed with colon cancer and, and it was a very dire outlook. And so even though uh, my, my surgery was successful, it was genetic. And so I, I was basically told, look, you've got an 80% chance of reoccurrence in the next five years, and then a 50% chance that it'll kill you. So you've got a 40% chance of, of surviving the next five years. And, you know, you need to like stop working 18 hours a day. I was, I was working 14 to 18 hours a day across three different time zones. I had, you know, we had three offices, employees in each one. And so basically there was always a fire. And mm -hmm. so I just, I was at my desk, slept at my desk. It was crazy. And so, you know, when, when I started plastic blood, I just thought, oh, it's just an ulcer, right? I'm just living the startup <laughs> life, which I do not recommend. So you know, on doctor's orders, he's like, look, you need to go to a, a less stressful lifestyle. So I, I put the business up for sale and ended up rushing into a deal. Didn't hire a business broker, didn't do our proper due diligence because I'm like, hey, we're the buyer, we're the seller, right? And they gave us a mix of cash, IOU and private stock. And so, you know, the cash actually got eaten up in taxes and lawyers. And so really I'm left with an IOU and private stock, but you know, the stock's worth a lot of money, right? $4 million. So then I moved to California. I'm living the good life. It's, you know, I don't even know what a jacket is anymore. <laughs> I'm working 35 hours, 40 hours a week. It feels like a vacation, honestly, but they're doing Enron accounting. I don't know if you remember Enron. Yeah, accounting. I remember. I worked at Arthur Anderson when Enron all happened. So I remember Enron. So they're, they're doing what I, what I describe as Enron accounting. And so you fast forward um, almost exactly one year and we have a meeting and they are, um, say, look, we've lost 97% of our value. And really the only thing of value is what you vended into the company. But because you vended it in as stock and an unsecured IOU, the secured creditors um, will get paid first. So you'll get three cents on the dollar on the IOU and you'll get zero on the stock. That negotiation, right? Mm -hmm. So now I'm paying for the, the, the price. That negotiation was done in haste. It was done without advisors. Yeah. It was done a bit under duress, right? Because I'm like, yeah. I'm motivated yeah. to, to get it out of this business. And my goodness, when you're in a rush is exactly when you need to slow down. I paid the price for it. Um, yeah. I got the equivalent of a severance check, came back to, to Canada and everyone's stopping me. Going, oh, look at that. You, you know, you exited your company, you sold it. I'm like, do you have any money I can borrow? Cause I'm broke. <laughs> right. Um, I I've got my health, but really I had to start from scratch. Yeah. Um, after building up a business that was worth, you know, four or $5 million. That's a pretty big it, lesson, it all it? came down to a two week negotiation that we just messed up. Yeah. So with that in mind, what kind of advice do you now take when you're doing significant negotiations and where do you go to get it? Yeah, I mean, I've had people ask me that and I, I've, I've literally said to people, I'm like, I can cut my own hair, okay? I can do it, but I don't recommend it, right? Do you cut your hair once every 
two months, you know, or do you go to a professional who's doing it for their living and doing it all of the time? You know, when I went and got my eyes um, laser surgery, I'm like, I don't want the, the, to go to the place where it says four, $4.99 per eye and we'll finance it. I want to go to the expensive guy. I want to go where my optometrist goes, right? I want to go where the professional athletes go. The price isn't the option. You don't want to save money when you're hiring a business broker, a professional negotiator, a tax lawyer, a tax advisor, an accountant. Those are not the areas that you look for bargain basement pricing. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the areas where you're like, I want the best. And whatever they cost is what they cost. The defendant who represents himself has a fool for a client. If you are negotiating and you don't have a professional in your corner advising you, even if you're the, even if you're the face, you still need someone in your corner advising you. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that, you know, personally, I prefer to have someone else um, doing the actual face-to-face -face, um, and then they can come to me because I'll get upset. I'll be animated. I'll be like, what are you yeah. talking about? That's insulting. Blah, blah, blah. Right. And you could put the buyer off, but if you have, you know, someone who's gone through this, understands the emotional reactions, understands what's going on, you know, it's, it's well worth the money. So yeah. always. Well, and absolutely. And, and I think sometimes they actually recognize when it is time to bring that emotion that you have into the room sometimes you want to use that to your advantage and other times you want to keep it out but yeah. having someone who can make that call can be really important yeah absolutely and you know this is how after going through half a dozen um, negotiations that together are probably worth you know 10 million dollars right and so it's you know for some people that's not a lot for other people that's a lot of money yeah <laughs> you know but the business brokers that you're dealing with that's probably what they do in a year in terms of the deals that they're negotiating mm. on so you don't have the experience my experience is building businesses my experience is not in selling businesses yeah. i can build a business that is going to be easy to sell but i can't necessarily sell that business because that's not what my business is important distinction isn't it yeah. So, Richard, I think we've had some great conversations and thank you for being so open with the stories that you've shared. Is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with? And I know that you're CEO of Logo.com. Is there anything you want to say about that for the listeners? And all your contact details will be in the show notes for them as well. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really a pay it forward kind of guy. You know, having gone through a life-threatening um, situation when I was 30, I look at life probably as a 70-year-old. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, you know, um, I encourage people to come to logo.com. We are the Zappos of logo making. You know, basically you can get a logo 20 minutes for $20. And we look at money um, as a thank you, right? If we're not providing you with $100 worth of value for 20 bucks, so it's a no brainer, you know, we don't want your money, right? We're not going to charge you until you find a logo design that you like and are ready to download. You can spend as much time, look at hundreds of uh, the logo designs that we will create for you before opening your wallet. So come check us out. We're at logo.com. If you have um, any desire to, to email with me directly, I'm richard at logo.com or you'll find me on LinkedIn. Fantastic, Richard. Well, thank you once Thanks again for listening for to this episode of the Negotiation in Real Life podcast. On other if you've taken away some great tips thank from you, this Nicole. episode, I'd love to hear about it. So please connect with me via my website or LinkedIn. 
If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to learn more tips to improve your negotiations, head to our website, nicoledavidsonnegotiation.com.au, where you can follow my blog, watch presentations and download resource sheets. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you get every episode as it comes out. If you have an interesting negotiation story that you'd like to share with my audience, head to the website and complete a guest application. Until the next episode, happy negotiating. Thank you.